It's time to talk about Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. And now, here's Ira. My guest is Jonathan Ullman. He's president and CEO of the Mob Museum, the National Museum of Organized Crime and Law Enforcement in downtown Las Vegas. For ticket information, go to themobmuseum.org, and you can follow the Mob Museum on Twitter at the Mob Museum. And Jonathan, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Ira. It's great to be here again. It's been a few years, but I wanted to have you back on to talk about the museum. Clearly, during the virus situation, it's not open, but there's a, an online presence, and I want to talk about that as well. But just initially, how did the museum come into being? Because if you think about it, there are certain cities that have a history of organized crime. There's Los Angeles, well, really more New York, Chicago, a little bit of L.A., Detroit, etc. How is it that we're the ones with the Mob Museum? Ah, well, that's, 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 a, that's a great question and a great story, Ira. And I... Uh, you know, part of it is that you, uh, you you simply can't tell the story of Las Vegas without talking about the mob's presence and the mob's influence on our growth over the years. But it's much more than that, too. First of all, as you know, we occupy a former federal building. It's a former U.S. post office and federal courthouse down there on Stewart Avenue, Beautiful, beautiful building. It's on the National Registry of Historic Places and important not just for its local significance and the local architecture. This is an older building. Uh, it was first put in service in 1933. And as you know, by Las Vegas standards, that, that is pretty old, uh, not necessarily <laughs> exactly. from other parts of the country. <laughs> right. uh, but it's also on the National Registry of Historic Places because of the events that took place in the courtroom. Uh, in particular, uh, the Kefauver Committee hearings that were uh, U.S. Senate investigative hearings into organized crime that took place in 1950 and 1951. Uh, one of those hearings, importantly, took place in our courtroom. So there's that important tie also. But, you know, our story goes back to almost Wow, it's, it's, it's almost 20 years ago when then-Mayor Oscar Goodman came to learn that that building was, could be available to be acquired by the city of Las Vegas from the federal government. And that deal that the city made to acquire the building, the building came with a couple of deed covenants, one that the city had to agree to restore it and rehabilitate it, and the other put it to a cultural use. So it, it was determined right at the get-go that it would be a museum of some sort. Now, I know you know, Ira, former Mayor Oscar's uh, background from before he was uh, a three-term mayor of, of the city of Las Vegas, that his background is also as a defense attorney. He would tell you of, you know, with the air quotes, he, he represented reputed mobsters. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah. But he, uh, I mean, this, you know, I think Oscar, you know, we regard as being the chief visionary of this project. I mean, I think he, he wisely understood that this was a topic that would be important for telling Las Vegas history, uh, also very important for telling uh, U.S. history more broadly. And, and we've even taken it a step 
uh, further in recent years in getting into transnational organized crime and 21st century focused organized crime. But, you know, thinking about the influence that mobs, you know, organized crime has had on all of the early casino properties and the growth of Las Vegas, that's a, that's a uniquely Las Vegas story to tell. So it was, uh, it made a lot of sense for, and to your point, I mean, you could arguably put a mob museum in Chicago or New York. There's no one city that corners the market exclusively as being able to represent organized crime or being the, uh, you know, the place that is exclusive to organized crime. Las Vegas was always a little bit different in that it was considered an open city. So these other areas of the United States, you know, the, the Chicago was run by the outfit. New York had the five families. You had different organized crime groups that dominated in different cities, whereas Las Vegas, interestingly enough, representatives of these different organized crime groups could carve out pieces of Las Vegas back when the mob had its great presence here and kind of coexist, not necessarily collaborating, but uh, could coexist. So that was another kind of really interesting, unique aspect to Las Vegas's organized crime past. It's a fascinating subject. And what's also interesting, too, is although the name is the Mob Museum, the secondary name is the National Museum of Organized Crime and Law Enforcement. And so you had that element as well. Yeah, well, and that's, you know, Ira, that's an extremely important component of this. I mean, I think that people love, and and we certainly love to promote the Mott Museum. I mean, it certainly has, you know, know, creates intrigue. But we cannot forget that the focus of our museum is a very, you know, this is very serious stuff. Our mission is to advance the public understanding of organized crime's history and impact on American society. And we do that by telling this story of organized crime's presence, but also, and even much, in many ways more pronouncedly, the, the ways in which law enforcement has combated organized crime through the years. So if you go through the museum, I mean, you see you know, one of these, you know, an important thread, you know, through the narrative that we tell is how law enforcement has evolved over time, all the tools and technologies at law enforcement's disposal. And some of those innovations, you know, could be, you know, you know, legislative. It's the way in which laws have changed over time. It's the ways in which forensic science has been used. But it's very much stories about law enforcement. I mean, they're the, they're the heroes. I mean, people love to, to hear the stories of mobsters, but the heroes that we're promoting in the, in the museum, you know, of course, are you know, the law-abiding and law-promoting people in our society. In essence, if you were to look at the mob museum, it was reflective of a cat-and-mouse game between the mob and, and law enforcement. Sure. And that never ends, Ira. I mean, this is... You know, I, I mean, it's one of the, the realities of the world is that there are crime groups that will always be trying to exploit situations, you know, establish different rackets. So, you know, you can go back to, you know, you know, turn of the 20th century 
and whether it was different types of gambling rackets or, you know, you know, the prohibition era, which was a time that organized crime groups, you know, amassed enormous amounts of wealth, kind of capitalizing on a way to create illicit trade. But throughout our history, organized crime groups, you know, have, you know, right up until present day, I mean, whether it's, you know, cybercrime uh, or animal wildlife trafficking, whatever it might be, uh, if there is a way for a crime group to exploit the system or make money, they're going to do that. And consequently, you know, law enforcement is often doing, you know, doing catch up. So they might, you know, might be able to identify ways to, to combat a particular problem or vulnerability, but, you know, there's, there's going to be something else coming around the corner. There's another part of the Mob Museum, as I mentioned first, the, the secondary name, which explains it more in terms of organized crime and law enforcement. What's also interesting, too, is we hear the term museum, and a lot of people think, well, it's a repository of just items or artifacts or things like that. And in fact, though, you have ongoing programs and ongoing discussions and ongoing meetings and ongoing lectures, etc., about these subjects. So it becomes a dynamic building and a dynamic organization because it's not just a repository. Well, I appreciate you saying that, Ira. And I think we've, we've worked hard as an organization to make certain that, that the museum experience is dynamic. Uh, that there are many offerings, you know, not just within the base, you know, day-to-day museum experience, which is interactive and has some, some, some pretty intense or immersive experiences. Uh, but as you point out, uh, we also supplement that with uh, an extraordinary calendar of special programs. I mean, we did approximately 100 programs last year. Now, they're, you know, different scale, but these can range from an author. You know, if you go back to just this past January, for example, we had a presentation by Al Capone's granddaughter, who had written a, a, a book and told family stories. The presentations we do can range from things that are very historically oriented and, and factual to also things that are in pop culture and, and talking about the facts that, that inspired the fiction. So, for example, we recently, you know, there was a lot of uh, excitement around The Irishman, the movie that, you know, the, the, the recent uh, Scorsese film that uh, stars De Niro and Pesci and Pacino and is all about the, uh, the Jimmy Hoffa murder. Uh, we put together an expert panel that broke down that story and kind of separated the, the fact from the fiction. And some of it is, uh, is still uncertain, of course. But then we also do things that are extremely contemporary. I mean, we talked about topics like the use of force by law enforcement and things relating to, you know, de-escalation tactics, you know, or, you know, again, you know, another example of a, of a program we did this past January was on human trafficking and sex trafficking. So we will do, you know, really a wide variety that appeals to all sorts of interests. And some of it is just intellectually interesting. Some of it is extremely practical, you know, how you can just live more safely uh, in present day, you know, preparing yourself to, you know, to guard against cyber crimes, for example. 
it's a really rich programming calendar. Are you always surprised at what you learn, even though you are the president and CEO of the Mob Museum? Are you always su surprised when something comes up in one of the programs that you learned something you didn't know before? Well, well, I, 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 I appreciate you you asking that that question. I'm, I'm never surprised because I I don't really believe I know that much. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, like you, you know, this this topic. I mean, we're we are lucky. We never run out of material. That's true. I mean, there is there is so much to talk about. I mean, organized crime and the efforts of law enforcement to combat it have. You know, this has been going on for so long and never ends. And there are so many fascinating aspects to it. I mean, you could, you know, we you know, we talk about prohibition, for example. You know, I alluded to it, uh, you know, a moment ago. We have some exhibits up on the, uh, the third floor of the museum that talk about, you know, the beer wars in Chicago and the St. Valentine's Day massacre. We actually have the, the wall from the warehouse in Chicago where the, the St. Valentine's Day massacre took place, you know, a very famous event in 1929. It's uh, technically unsolved, but, uh, you know, w you know, very well believed that uh, Al Capone's group, you know, murdered people associated with Bugs Moran's group as part of the, their ongoing, you know, struggle for dominance in Chicago. We also have some fascinating forensic exhibits that that relate to that too i mean this is you know the actual crime scene evidence and, and forensic scientists reports that were you know one of the earliest instances in which bullets found at the at a crime scene were able to be traced to a particular weapon used in that crime i mean it's really seminal landmark sort of event in forensic science you could talk so much about that particular event, that particular time period. And then we get into prohibition in the basement of our museum with a much more immersive experience that we call the underground, where you can, you take a walk back in time through the temperance movement. You can hear the, the debates between the wets and the dries. You can see the impact kind of, you know, now we're not just talking about organized crime specifically, but culturally and on, on business and society more generally of this time period, what manufacturing, you know, companies did when, you know, imagine you were, you were Anheuser-Busch and you used to, you know, make, make booze regularly and then all of a sudden you can't do that anymore. What do you do next? And as you go through this, this experience, you go into our speakeasy where we have, you know, it's a speakeasy exhibit space that's an actual working speakeasy. You can order cocktails that tell stories. They're from the Prohibition era. You know, the bartenders will do cocktail camera demonstrations, will tell you how they're made and tell you, you know, how they were inspired. You can look at exhibits that, that tell stories of, you know, the jazz era and the, the culture of what was going on during that time period. But you know, again, going back to your, your original question, you know, prohibition lasted more than 10 years. I mean, this, there, there's no shortage of exactly. information right. that, or material you can cover. There's no right. way to ever, you know, become an expert in such a thing. Well, let's take a break. In fact, when you said immersive experience, and I was thinking about the fact you can order a drink right there at the Mob Museum. But let's take a break. My guest, Jonathan Ullman, is president and CEO of the Mob Museum. It's the National Museum of Organized Crime and Law Enforcement 
in downtown Las Vegas. For ticket information, go to themobmuseum.org, and you can follow The Mob Museum on Twitter at The Mob Museum. We'll be right back. We'll be back with more Talk About Las Vegas with Ira in just a moment. Aviator One in a holding pattern until the return of baseball in 2020. Your Las Vegas Aviators AAA affiliate of the Oakland Athletics had an amazing inaugural season at the new Las Vegas ballpark. Great new food choices, a beautiful club level, park on the berm dog nights, fireworks nights, and family fun nights. Don't miss a minute of the action when the Aviators return to the Las Vegas ballpark in 2020. Season tickets are on sale now at aviatorslv.com. Now let's get back to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Welcome back. I'm talking with Jonathan Ullman. He's president and CEO of the Mob Museum, the National Museum of Organized Crime and Law Enforcement in downtown Las Vegas. For ticket information, go to themobmuseum.org, and you can follow the Mob Museum on Twitter at the Mob Museum. Now, full disclosure, I am a member of the Mob Museum, and I was going to check with you Jonathan, to see what the percentage was or if there's a percentage of locals versus people from all over the United States and around the world that join the Mob Museum, either initially or they come there, they visit, they're intrigued, and then they want to come back, and so they become members. Sure. Well, I, uh, thank you for bringing that up, Ira. You know, our visitation is heavily skewed outside of Las Vegas, so we, we're generally between 85 and 90% non-local in terms of our day-to-day museum guests. The vast majority of those guests are from other states around the United States, but we, we certainly see a lot of international travelers as well. I mean, we've had visitors from over 35 countries come to the Ma Museum. And our membership also reflects, you know, you, would, you, you wouldn't expect it. And I can't, I can't tell you the precise percentage, but it's, it's not as locally oriented as you might think. I mean, there are people that, you know, come visit, love the subject matter, don't necessarily have the opportunity to visit repeatedly, but love all the content that we put out on, put out digitally, you know, through our website, we have... Uh, videos of past programs. We live stream our programs. So even if you can't come as a member to one of our evening events, for example, uh, you can live stream it uh, or watch it afterwards from wherever you're located. We have an incredible amount of information through blog posts on the website, a couple of microsites on our website that focus on topics you know, such as the prohibition period, so the, the amount of content that is available to you. And Ira, I don't know if you've had an opportunity to see it yet, but we earlier this year just launched our mobile app, which has incredible features on it. You can tour the museum. You don't necessarily have to be here. It's a great feature when you are in the museum because it's got wayfinding capabilities so you can figure out exactly where you are in the museum. You can look through all the lists of exhibits and figure out, you know, what, you know, what precisely you want to go look at and how to get there. But in addition to that, you can take particular tours that are thematically arranged. So if you want to focus on Las Vegas history, you can take a tour specific to that. It also offers missions 
you know, if you want to go through the museum and test your knowledge, it's basically a digital scavenger hunt. You can compete with your friends if you like. But there's also other great content in, in the app that you can enjoy anywhere. And uh, in particular, there's this feature we call the doppelgangster. <laughs> and if you look at that, it uses facial recognition software. So you can take a picture of yourself and, and don't, you know, I know people, once you say that, sometimes people get skittish, but we don't store any images. In fact, we provide you with information to help you understand what the privacy issues related to facial recognition technology are all about. But when you do this, Ira, you can take a picture of yourself uh, and then it'll search our database of mobsters, law enforcement people, both historical as well as people from pop culture, other types of entertainers, people that have been in the mob world, and it'll come up with matches. And I'll give you a biographical information about those people too. So you can you can find someone, Ira, and you can, you know, that, that is your your mob doppelganger, right? Uh, and then you can you can share that online. And that that app has actually last time we checked has been downloaded and used used in 59 countries around the globe. And when I say that, I don't mean people that from those different countries here in the United States are using it. I mean actually using the app in those countries. Pretty impressive. Incredible. Pretty impressive. And also very important from the point of view of given what we're dealing with with the virus right now, that you have this online presence, this app presence, and this digital presentation so people can experience what the Mob Museum represents without physically being there at this point. Oh, you're, you're absolutely right, Ira. And we, in, in fact, we've, we just sent out, I, I hope you saw it as a member, uh, an e-blast to let everybody know that there are virtual tours that are now available right. on our website as right. well. So if you want to experience the, uh, experience the Mob Museum from the comforts of your own lockdown, wherever you, <laughs> you're at, uh, you, right. can, you can have that experience. When you first started to put the museum together, when the folks got together and figured out that this was going to happen, Oscar leading the way, was there a determination or a thinking that this was going to be a bifurcated attraction, meaning definitely for the locals, but also clearly for visitors coming to Las Vegas from around the world? Well, I'll tell you, Ira, and, and this project was well underway before I arrived. So we, we opened in, in February 2012. I got here at the end of 2010. But at that point, there had already been a lot of work that had gone into planning the nature of the, the exhibits. Right from the get-go, it was, it was understood and expected that this was going to be something that would be attractive to people that are visiting Las Vegas. I mean, you, that's the... Uh, you know, I think we've always kind of prided ourselves as an organization as, you know, you know, having kind of bold thinking about what we could, you know, what the organization could become and what it could do for the people that it serves. You know, if, if you, you think about the number of people that are in the Las Vegas Valley versus the number of people that come visit every year, you know, 2 million versus 40 plus million, you know, for this organization to really deliver on, you know, fully on, on the opportunity that has, you know, it's presented with, you know, it has to be something that is attractive to non-locals and present something that's relevant to them. So we also tell stories that relate to where people are from. 
with that being said, you know, it, it's also extremely important to us that we provide, you know, unique value to the local community as well. So, so I think to your point, you know, there, there is quite, you know, that, that bifurcation is, is very real. I mean, there are some, some very community-oriented programs that occur in the museum, but so much, so much more of what we do is focused on, on visitors that are from afar. Before I let you go, given the fact that you have seen some interesting people come through the doors of the Mob Museum, is there one person in particular, whether it was a former mobster, a relative of a mobster, a former law enforcement officer, a relative of a former law enforcement officer, or just some interesting personality? If I had to narrow you down, Jonathan, <laughs> as to the most interesting person that has come through the doors as a visitor or speaker or participant, would there be one or would it be a couple? Oh, my gosh. The, you, you have no idea of the people that come through our doors. And I, I think there are certainly many extremely interesting characters from the mob side. I always am reluctant to talk about them in this way because, uh, well, you know, <laughs> I mean, you always want to be careful about such things, but uh, you know, it's 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 interesting how folks, a lot of these these former mobsters too, you know, they're they're out there doing the book circuit. Oh yes, yeah. you know, and, and they want to make certain that they're you know, they're they they have strong feelings about what what photographs you're putting of them up on the walls, and they want to be represented in a certain way. So that that can create some interesting conversations, um, but. <laughs> On the law enforcement side, I mean, there are just extraordinary, extraordinary people that have come through. You know, I think about, you know, folks like, like Jack Garcia, who is a former FBI agent who went undercover and infiltrated the Gambino crime family. You know, literally dozens of arrests as a result of the work that he did. You know, a guy like Jay Dobbins, who was with the ATF and, and went undercover in the Hells Angels. You know, these folks, that's... I mean, it's it's incredible to hear those stories and meet those people. The uh, you know the, the the type of courage that something like that requires is just so fascinating to me. I mean, it's uh, I have such deep admiration for that type of work. It's not easy, and to sustain it over a period of time when you're going undercover, as an example, that that's that's tough stuff. Well, I. I you can't even imagine. I mean, the, uh, the the type of impact it has on your personal life, but also just that constant state of, you know, you're, you're in such a precarious place constantly, you know, it takes a certain, you know, that that's a special kind of person that can do something like that. Before I let you go, and I thought that would be my last question, but I just thought of one more, which is looking ahead, do you see some interesting things you want to talk about? happening in the museum in the next couple of years or that you're planning? Oh, well, I, I, I mean, we, we, we're eager to get back in there and, uh, you know, get past this, you know, this shutdown period. I mean, you know, there's plenty of, you know, exciting things that we can do digitally, but we can't wait to get back in the facility and create more, more programs. You know, we've done, you know, I think the team has done such a wonderful job with the the immersive experiences, our new crime lab space where you can go in and learn about forensic science and you can, you know, do a, you know, a digital autopsy. You can do DNA, you know, experience what DNA analysis or fingerprint analysis or ballistics testing, you know, how all that works. 
you know, we have our immersive use of force space where you can learn and actually experience a firearm training, you know, simulation uh, and the type of role playing that law enforcement use to train their officers. You know, the distillery tour that we created down in the underground where we're making our own moonshine and we're talking about how mobsters used to do that. There's so much more of those types of experiences that we can create that provide that, that immersive interactive uh, experience for our guests. So I think, you know, when, once we're back and we're, we're running again, like, like, like usual, you know, we're going to be rolling out more and more. You know, I can't wait. Well, that's a great way to end it. My guest has been Jonathan Oldman. He's president and CEO of the Mob Museum, the National Museum of Organized Crime and Law Enforcement in downtown Las Vegas. For ticket information, go to themobmuseum.com, and you can follow the Mob Museum on Twitter at the Mob Museum. Jonathan, thanks for being on the show. Ira, thank you so much. See you next time. You've been listening to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. Be my friend.